that you could join us today. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I am Josh Falk. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And um, if you are here in the seats, uh, watching online, wherever you're watching from, um, just welcome, welcome. And especially if you're new, huge welcome to you guys as well. If you're here in person, making out in the snow, depending on what part of the country you're from, that's like a big deal snow, or that's like, what? It didn't even snow, you know? So anyways, <laughs> um, so a couple of things before we jump into uh, the message today. And the first thing I just want to build on that video is that I'm really excited about this EHS uh, course coming up in a couple weeks. You know, we can all have uh, this stuff that's kind of beneath the surface, and it just kind of keeps us from taking that next step in our faith. It can hold us back um, from growing deeper in our relationship with God, from being who God has called us to be. And, and maybe we know what that is, and it's we, we're not sure how to deal with it, or it's really hard to deal with, or maybe we're just not sure what the next step is. This course is for believers that are new believers, for people that have been following Jesus forever, young, old. Um, it's gonna challenge you. You know, it's not like a fire hose of, of information. It's, it's really an experience that's designed to challenge and equip you to go deeper in your relationship with God. Uh, not just for the eight weeks of the course, but for your entire lifelong journey um, to help you better love God and love others. So, if, uh, if you're at all interested, um, come talk to me. You can go online to our website, sign up soon. The spots are limited, so I um, encourage you to check that out. And then lastly, I just wanna take a moment and say thank you to all of you who give generously to this place. Man, God is doing some incredible things. Uh, God is doing incredible things in our community, um, our resource center, all of our teams that are serving in our church and in the community. We have small groups all over Northern Virginia, online, in person, um, all around the world, all of our partners that we're connected with. God is at work in this season right now, and um, we just could not do it without your support, so thank you so much for all of you who give. If you'd like to be a part of that today, you can give. If you're in person, there's boxes in the back. There's a QR code that's on the screen, and if you're online, um, there's a give button and, and stuff like that on there. So thank you, thank you so much. And okay, so we're gonna jump in. So last week, uh, Kyle, he talked about receiving the gift of grace, this, that when we say yes to Jesus uh, and what he did for us on the cross and we make him the center of our lives, that we receive this incredible gift of grace, that we get to experience new life in his name. And today we're gonna look at how we live this new life that God has for us. Does it just happen? You know, like we say yes, and there's like a verification code sent to our phone, and it's like, did the real Josh Falk say yes to Jesus? And you're like, yes, he did, and then like, you're good, right? Or, or how does that work, you know? And so that's what we're gonna be looking at today. And um, I wanna first... Uh, touch on Philippians 2.12 to kind of set this up, okay? The Apostle Paul in Philippians 2.12 says, to work out your salvation in fear and, treble, and trembling is what the NIV says. Um, that can also be translated to work out your salvation uh, out of reverence to God. Paul saying, once you receive this gift of grace, you must now work that into your life. It's not something you hold on to, but it's something that you work into every corner of your being. It's not this passive thing. It's active. It requires participation in it. And one of the key themes that points to how we work out this gift of grace in our lives 
is obedience. Now, in our culture today, um, some, you know, some Christian practices like prayer and quiet time, they can be kind of cool, you know, like, um, you know, meditation and stuff is, is pretty big in our culture, right? And so when I, maybe we talk about quiet time or different ways to connect with God, um, prayer and quiet time, that's kind of like, oh yeah, like I need more of that in my life. My life's crazy and, and I want to be able to do that better and all that. But, but when we start throwing the word obedience around, like, that's not super cool. And uh, there could be a lot of reasons. Maybe you don't feel that way, but I think a lot of people might, and could be a lot of reasons for that. I think one of them is um, our American Western culture. One of our most important values, according to a lot of philosophers, is that Americans, one of their most highest uh, values is freedom. A lot of positive things about that in the West, human rights, freedom of religion, freedom of speech, and so on. But this kind of freedom that we're talking about, there's, there can be a shadow side to that also in a culture like ours that places a high emphasis on freedom. And I think that's best explained by, our, by Elsa from Frozen, okay? So in the song, Let It Go, right? There is this line that says, no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I am free, right? No, no right, no wrong, no rules for me, I am free. And it's this line that points to this one aspect of freedom that's deeply woven into the fabric of our culture. Freedom means that um, we need to be free of any restrictions or, or constraints that would keep me from following my heart's desires. You know, the classic phrases of follow your heart, be true to yourself. You do you. Just do it. Right? It's, we've got these like lines and phrases, and it's just woven into our culture. It's a very core part of our society today. This idea that I don't want to submit to any external authority. That I can do whatever I want. That I and I alone can decide what is right and wrong and spiritual. And so rather than submitting to or being obedient to some external authority, our culture says, well, I am my own spiritual authority. And this is the no right, no wrong, no rules for me kind of freedom that can easily slip into our relationship with God. Maybe we say that, man, I'm all in on God until it requires me to do something that I don't wanna do or don't like very much, and then... Nope, sorry, no right and wrong rules for me, I'm free, right? And obedience to God can feel like this restrictive path sometimes that's, that's not fun and is leading nowhere, and, and we feel like we are better off with kind of embracing the, the freedom mantra uh, of our culture. First today, I, I wanna look at our culture's view of, of this freedom, this, this uh, no right, no wrong, no rules for me kind of freedom. Um, and, and I want to look at that under the microscope uh, and, and look at Scripture's definition of freedom. And then we'll close and talk about how we can uh, put this practice of obedience and work out this gift of grace into our lives. Okay, so we got like part one and part two. So here we go. We're going to hang out in Psalm, Psalms 119 today. We're going to start in verse 35. It'll be up on the screens. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. 
Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. First notice how the psalmist is saying, I'm going to preserve my life according to your word. This can also be translated your ways. So I'm going to preserve my life according to your word or to your ways. And then secondly, notice he doesn't say, I'm going to turn my eyes, but he says, turn my eyes. He's saying, I can't do it on my own. Lord, please help me turn my eyes away from what? These worthless things, which can also be translated as idols. This underlying assumption here um, that the psalmist is making is that your eyes, if your eyes aren't fixed on God, then they're fixed on something else. If God is not the um, spiritual authority in your life, then something else is. For example, if, if uh, I live to please people, right? Well, then the authority in my life is the people that I'm trying to please. Or maybe I live to become as wealthy as possible and that means then wealth and the pursuit of wealth becomes the authority and controlling thing in my life. Everyone has something that is that main thing that they live for that gives them this sense of significance or they hope that it does. And everyone has something, right? And whatever that thing is, whatever the center of your life is, that is the authority in your life. It's that thing that you can't imagine life without, and when it's threatened, you'll do anything, absolutely anything to protect it. The psalmist is saying that I am not going to be able to have God as my authority unless I can get my eyes off of these other things. So to say no right, no wrong, no rules for me, that whole thing, to say that is not possible. If it's not God that we um, are obedient to, it's some other law, some other thing that is determined by what we think matters most. So the first thing we learn about freedom is that we are all under the, under the external authority of something or someone. All right, now we're gonna skip down to verses 44 and 45. I will always obey your law forever and ever, and I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. Psalms 119, 44 to 45. Here, the Hebrew word translated for freedom, where it says, I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought your precepts. Freedom, um, it's, it's like this, this metaphor, it's, it's a broad path, okay? And it's a metaphor for freedom, and so imagine you're walking down a narrow path, okay? And on your left is a really high wall, and on your right is like the steepest cliff you've ever seen. It's a, it's a narrow path. You, you, you don't have a lot of options on where you can walk. Whereas a broad path, it's, it's a wide path. You can walk here, you can walk there, you can walk everywhere. And so the psalmist, um, in its original Hebrew translations, is talking about this broad path for freedom, right? 
He's not saying that I gave up my freedom to follow you. He's saying I now walk freely because I sought your precepts, which is like rules, commands, guiding principles. He says, I experience freedom when I give up my independence. When I center myself under God's authority, he, he experiences true freedom. The psalmist experiences true freedom when he becomes a servant. He's saying, because God is the master of my life, nothing else can master me. He's saying that freedom is not about being free from any restrictions, that true freedom is finding the right restrictions. This is a very silly example, but uh, go with me for a second. Think about a fish, okay? I don't know if how many of you guys have pet fish. I don't do well with any pets. Um, yeah, I just, I, I don't take care of them very well. So, um, but say you got some fish, right? And um, fish are in an aquarium. Hopefully you have a, a really cool aquarium for them. And it would be like a fish who, you know, is like longing to like sit on the couch with you, you know, or it's like, man, I'd love to sit at the table and have a burger with you. Like, please like get me out of this tank, right? But like you take the fish out of the tank and and it's free, it's free from the tank, but it's not free. It's, it's, it's not gonna survive very long because it's not an environment that this fish was built for, right? And so in the water, in the aquarium, the fish can live and swim freely, but you take it out even into the vast you know, world um, and it would not survive. So God doesn't call us to be obedient to him because I don't know, he was sitting around one day and he said, you know, it'd be really cool um, if we had some like, you know, restrictions and commands for people, um, you know, okay, I thought of this one on the spot. Forgive one another. Yeah, we'll just have that be something, you know, that people uh, have to follow. Um, and no matter how many times people wrong you, okay, you gotta forgive people. It's like, no, God didn't just make that up just because. You see, God created us. He, he built us to be in relationship with one another. He understands us to our core. And so a command like forgive one another is like a water, is like water to a fish, right? It's that we can live our best life that uh, rather than being held back by the hurt and the resentment and the anger when somebody hurts us that Jesus says, no, the path to flourishing, the path to healing is to forgive. And that's why, you know, that's a thing. So true freedom isn't a no right, no wrong, no rules for me kind of freedom. We experience real freedom when we have the right restrictions. And then the third thing is true freedom is experienced in the context of love. So look at verse 40. How I long for your precepts and your righteousness pre preserve my life. He doesn't say, oh, I enjoy reading the Bible and obeying it. He says, I long for your precepts. That word long for is, um, it's like being lovesick. And then look at verse 47 and 48. For I delight in your commands because I love them. I reach out for your commands, which I love, that I may meditate on your decrees. He's not just um, studying the Bible. He doesn't just say, I'm gonna obey this. Um, this is like love sick language. He's pouring over the scripture. He is passionate. He is filled with love and delight as he reads it. 
That seems crazy, right? Think about what happens, though, when you're falling in love. As you fall in love, you become, hopefully, in a, in a good relationship, you become a student of that person that you are falling in love with. You study them, you take notes, their likes and their dislikes. You wanna know their greatest joys and you wanna be there with them and know what hurts them deeply, right? And be there in their deepest hurts. But like, why do you wanna do that? It's out of your love and your passion for that person. And because you love them, you are willing to alter your behavior and maybe not be able to do certain things um, in order to submit to like the law of their nature because you want to love them deeper. The psalmist is doing everything he can to bring himself under the authority of who God is. He wants to find out what God loves. He wants to find out what God hates, what he delights in, what breaks his heart. He's bringing himself under that, not out of fear, not because he, he wants things to be hard, not because he wants to receive some kind of blessing. No, it's for the same reason that when there's someone that you love, you want to know everything about them so that you can love them more deeply. That's what the psalmist wants to do with his relationship with God. We can have such a negative view of this idea of obedience and law, um, but the thing is, is when you're in a loving relationship, you don't see altering your being and behavior to love that person better as obeying something. You just, it just happens because you love them. You start to obey the Bible and God without any love at all. Maybe um, you kind of um, want to know God more. Maybe it's because you want to have a better life or you want to feel better about yourself or get God to answer your prayers or something like that. That can happen. But the thing is, is you can't go deep with God. You can't fall in love with God, with Jesus, without submitting your life fully, without coming the, under the authority of the nature of who he is. So the no right, no wrong, no rules for me kind of freedom, whether that's intentionally or unintentionally, um, you know, we all can, we all are obedient to something and under some kind of authority, right? That was point number one. Point number two, true freedom has the right restrictions. And the third thing is in a loving relationship, we don't see those things as restrictions. We see it as an outline to grow deeper in our love for that person. Now the, ne now the last part, okay? So we've got this um, idea of freedom that scripture's talking about, the psalmist is talking about that um, we just went over. Now this next part is how do we live this new life of freedom when we uh, make God the authority of our lives? When we live in obedience to him, how do we work out this gift of grace into every part of our lives? The first thing, real quick, it's gonna be a few things, we're gonna run through them really quick. First one is that we need to embrace the authority of God's word. So we have to embrace the authority of God's word in order to have this love relationship with God. You might say now, okay, hang on a second. 
you know, I get a lot of the Bible. I like studying it. It's encouraging. It's challenging. But I'm not sure, like, I can accept, like, everything in that. When it comes to Scripture, though, um, we can sometimes um, get things out of order. Uh, We can either uh, choose to read Scripture through our cultural moment, or we can view our cultural moment through the lens of Scripture. So what do I mean by that? So um, whatever generation that you are in, uh, maybe you're young or um, you're older, but um, I think all generations can think this way sometimes, where maybe we have a family member, an older family member, um, or we just think about past generations of followers of Jesus, and we think, how can they have that view? How can you read the same scripture that I'm reading and have that view? Or, man, how could they say that? How could they believe that? How could they write that? And we think about previous generations and we go, man, like what is going on there? This scripture is timeless. The word of God is timeless, but it could be so easily be twisted to fit into the cultural moment that we're in. And we can see that in past generations where maybe we see that scripture um, was used and manipulated and um, misunderstood just to fit into a a cultural moment that there was. And in hindsight, you go, man, how do you miss that? But we should also ask, what about us? Will future generations look back on things that we do and said and believe and say and say, man, how did you get that wrong? Because we haven't arrived at like this ultimate cultural moment where, you know, things aren't going to change or, you know, we don't, we don't sometimes get caught up in what's happening in our culture. And rather than using scripture as a lens to um, pick and choose where we stand with certain things in culture, we use our culture as a lens to view scripture and we kind of pick and choose things in scripture that we want to hold on to so it fits into our culture. Because our culture has like a loud megaphone telling us how to live, what to believe, and um, it can be so easy for all of us sometimes to fall into that. And so the way that we resist temptation, um, we resist that temptation is to let scripture be our lens. That in order to experience this love relationship with God, in order to live out this freedom, we need to embrace um, his word and his truth as our lens with which we see the world. Number two, let God's word study you. So secondly, we need to let God's word study us Uh, You can only have a personal relationship with someone who can talk back, right? Fight back. You can only have a relationship with someone who can tell you things you don't want to hear, who can surprise you, who can argue with you. If you go through the Bible and you you say, man, um, these things that God says, like, I can't accept some of those things. Um, You can get rid of those things. Then you have this God that you have created, that will never talk back to you and cannot change you. He cannot contend with you because you don't have this living God. You have a yes, dear kind of God. You have a yes God that um, won't be a personal relationship. It just can't be. So in order to work out this gift of grace 
in our lives to become more like Jesus, we have to first embrace Scripture's authority in our lives. And secondly, we have to let the Bible study us as much as we study it. You know, we study the Bible to ask questions that, of what we're reading so we can understand it better, which is awesome. We want to know what the Bible's teaching so that as we understand it and we understand his truth, that it can search us, that it can come inside us and take a look around and change us, challenge us. So we should ask questions like, how is what I'm reading calling me to live more like Jesus? How is what I'm reading, how is God using that to speak to me in the midst of my current situation? To live differently in my family, in my work? You have to let God's word argue and contend with you. Sometimes we, we're, I don't know, we sometimes we get on a high horse and we're, we think we're all that in a bag of chips. But God's word would say, Nope, you're nothing without God, okay? You need God, <laughs> you know? And sometimes we think, man, I'm nothing. Man, I'm a failure. Man, I'm worthless. Man. And the Bible reminds you, no, you're loved unconditionally. No, you're priceless. We have to let God's word come in and search us and argue with us. Thirdly, we have to accept the adventure. We have to accept that following Jesus is an adventure. We come to this point where we embrace God's authority, the authority of his word, we let it shape and we mold us and, and mold us. Then we are in this position to follow God obediently. But the path looks hard and difficult. We live in a... Um, you know, a, a time where there's a lot of movies about heroes. We have the Marvel movies and shows now. Um, I think I saw there's like four DC movies coming out this year. DC's making a comeback. There's probably going to be a ton of, of, of trailers about these movies in the Super Bowl ads tonight. And so that's huge right now, right? And there's heroes and plenty of other shows and, and things like that other than the actual heroes. But these stories, uh, what makes them heroes is that they're serving a cause that's bigger than themselves. They give themselves to the mission, and oftentimes a hero's journey, in, in the hero's journey, there's moments when it's not looking too great. Even though, like, in your head, you're watching the movie, you're like, no, they can't die. No, they're gonna be fine, you know? But, like, if in the character's experience, like, there's moments in the hero's journey where things aren't looking good, when it looks like things are really gonna turn out badly, but the hero doesn't turn back and they move ahead and they stay obedient to the mission. So when you start to live in obedience to God, when you start to feel like you're, you start to feel like you're on this adventure, in the middle of practicing obedience, you might feel like, man, like I'm going away from being happy. I'm going away from security. It might feel like that or look like that, but it's not. You say, well, um, if I tell you the truth in this situation, um, if, if I tell the truth in this situation, maybe I'll lose everything, my job, I'll lose money, my career. Um, 
So maybe not, I won't necessarily tell the truth. It's, it's gonna take me away from the security and happiness that I really want. And so, God, I might need to take back over, right? Dietrich Bonhoeffer is a Christian, um, he's a Christian German pastor. And at the end of the 1930s, um, he got away from Nazi Germany and he was in New York. And after a short time, he decided to go back to Germany voluntarily. And many around that were close to him urged him not to go. They said, you are nuts. But he said, I had to take responsibility for Hitler. He said, I need to go there and be there with the people that are suffering under Hitler. So he went back and he was a part of the German resistance um, until he was caught and executed. And this is what he wrote. He said, if it was I who determined where God will be, then I will always find a God who corresponds to me, who is obliging to me, who is connected with my own nature. But if God himself is saying where he will be, then it will be a place which is not immediately pleasing to my nature. This place is the cross of Christ. Bonhoeffer accepted the adventure he didn't know what would happen. It did not look good at all. And people were warning him, no, no, no. And maybe you think, well, yeah, it did end up badly for him. No, he inspired thousands and changed thousands of people's lives because of what he did and what he wrote. We are invited to accept the adventure of coming under God's authority. It won't always make sense to us. Sometimes things might not look good in the moment. But stay obedient to the mission and God will work in and through us in ways that we couldn't imagine. So to close, I wanna look back at Psalm 119, verse 32. It says, I run in the path of your commands for you have broadened my understanding. The psalmist is saying that obedience is like a marathon. He's talking about running. He's excited um, that he's gonna run this race, you know, and he's, he's running this race. Um, and the thing is, is that when he wrote this, he didn't have what we have in Hebrews 12. And some of you may know this passage. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The text has said, Jesus is the pioneer of our race. In other words, he ran the race first. He came to earth, he lived obediently as our example. He went first and, and now we follow him, right? Well, that wouldn't be super exciting for us. We would say, well, I'm never gonna run the race like Jesus ran it. I'm never gonna measure up. I'm never gonna be able to keep up with Jesus. But it doesn't say that. It says he is the pioneer and perfecter of the faith. Perfecter can also be translated as finisher. 
Jesus was obedient. He came to earth, humbled himself. Philippians says, obedient even unto death, even death on a cross. But why did he die? Why did he obey? Why did he say, not my will, but yours? Why did he obey? Why did he accept the adventure? Not just so he could be our example, but so that he could be our substitute. He didn't just run the race as an example. He ran the race for us. He obeyed for us. The gospel is is not that we give God this great performance and then he blesses us. But in Jesus, God gives us this gift of grace, which we receive by faith. And then we work that out in in our lives so we can bless him. Because we love him, so we can fall in love deeper with him. What this means is that there is no way that running the race and obeying God will be a delight, but it'll be an adventure. It's not gonna be an adventure or a delight if we don't first believe that we are already accepted. That before we even began the race, We are already loved, already chosen, already forgiven. You know, because when you run a race, you always have in the back of your mind, what if I fail? What if I mess up? What if I don't measure up? Except this race is already finished for you. So unless you read this passage in Psalms through the lens of Hebrews 12, this idea of obedience and walking in freedom, it's not gonna feel like that. It's not gonna be this experience of love, it would be a grind. But it's when we accept Jesus as the pioneer and finisher of our faith that we are able to be in this love relationship with God and live out obediently to him and and through that we experience this new life, this transformed life. Let's pray. God, we thank you for, um, God, your love for us. God, you know each and every person in this room. God, the things that are underneath um, the surface, God, that hold us back, God. God, I pray that you would just meet each and every one of us there. God, I pray that your spirit would come and invade this place, God invade each of our hearts. God, I pray that we would um, be able to live more obediently to you, God, that we um, would become more like you, that God, this gift of grace would just be uh, made manifest in each of our lives so that we can be a part of this incredible work that you're doing in the world so that we can be all that you've created us and called us to be. So God, we thank you, thank you, thank you for who you are, and we love you. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.